following reading is taken from the book Spiritual Comfort by John Colhoun, 1814, Directions to Christians Who Are Afflicted with Melancholy. If the disease has proceeded far or become strong, directions to those Christians themselves are commonly to little purpose because their minds are so weakened that they cannot comply with them. But because in some especially when the distemper has but recently begun to see them. There is some power of understanding and of reason still remaining. I will offer them the following directions and advices. Endeavor to understand well the covenant of grace. Study without delay to attain just and clear views of the infinite riches, suitableness, and freeness of the grace of that everlasting covenant. The better you understand and the more you think of that wonderful contract in which complete salvation is purchased, promised, and sure to you, the more your souls will be sustained and your tempers be sweetened under the consoling influences of the Spirit of Grace. Think as often of the righteousness of Jesus Christ as of your own sinfulness, as often of his fullness of grace, as of your emptiness of grace, and as frequently of the boundless love, grace, and mercy of your covenant God, as of his majesty, holiness, and justice, way to diminish and even overcome those terrors which arise from partial and false apprehensions of God, is to attain spiritual, clear, and enlarged views of him as a God whose glory is to be merciful, and gracious even to the chief of sinners, and who will certainly show mercy to those who unfeignedly desire to honor him, and to be eternal debtors to his redeeming grace, for all their salvation. Let your thoughts also dwell on those cheering truths that the Lord Jesus has according to that well-ordered and sure covenant given such an infinite satisfaction to divine justice for your sins that it secures you from eternal death, that he has performed such a perfect obedience to the divine law, that it merits eternal life for you, and that life eternal is in the infinitely free gift of God to you. Be firmly persuaded that the incarnate Redeemer with his righteousness and fullness is offered to you in the gospel as sinners of mankind. Constantly believe not only that he is able and willing to save you, but that he is freely holy and particularly offered to you by his eternal Father and himself. Cordially believe the record that God gives you eternal life, and that life is in his Son. Consider that it is not your sin, but your duty to always believe that it is for you in particular that he offers his Son with righteousness and life eternal in him, and that it is not your sin, but your duty to likewise believe that the Father's authentic offer of him to you affords you a warrant to immediately confide in him for salvation for yourselves, or to trust that he saves and will continue to save you. It would be a presumption for any of the fallen angels to trust in him for their salvation, because he is not offered to them. However, it is not presumption, but a duty for you to confide in him for all your salvation, because the offer, the call, and the commandment to believe in him are directed to you, in common with all other hearers of the gospel. 
And these afford you a right at all times to place a confidence of your hearts in him for grace and glory. Believe then, that seeing you have an ample warrant to trust confidently in the Savior for the whole of your salvation, it cannot be your sin but your duty, your principal duty to do so. Oh, if you but saw in the light of his word and spirit, and believed your divine warrant to come as you are, to come at all times, and to confide in the Lord Jesus for complete salvation, how greatly it would alleviate the trouble of your minds. Number three. Be persuaded to trust accordingly in Jesus Christ for all the inestimable blessings and comforts of a free salvation for you in particular. Come as unworthy, as lost sinners. Do not come on the ground of any qualification in yourselves, but upon the warrant afforded you by the gospel offer, and entrust your whole salvation to the compassionate Savior. Rely with unsuspecting confidence on the faithful, the dear Redeemer, for the enjoyment of all that is offered to you in the glorious gospel. There, all the love of his heart, in and with himself is offered to you. Trust, therefore, that he loves you. His consummate righteousness is granted to you. Rely on it for all your title to eternal life. All this salvation is also presented to you for your acceptance. Trust, therefore, that his right hand will save you, since it is all offered to you as a free gift of grace. Trust with the entire approval and consent of your hearts that he will save you in a way of boundless grace, seeing that all the good things of this life which are necessary for you were likewise offered. Trust that he will give you these also in the kind and measure that he sees good for you. In the indefinite offer, all the promises of his eternal covenant are left and directed to you. Trust, therefore, that he will perform them for you, and to save you with an everlasting salvation. The absolute promises of the Spirit and of faith especially are given to you in the offer of the gospel. Trust that he will give his Spirit to you, and thereby enable you to more and more believe in him. Oh, that you knew what a comfort it is that the great Redeemer has made it your duty to trust at all times in Him, and in God, through Him. He commands you to trust in Him with all your heart, and therefore you may be assured that He will not deceive your confidence, nor disappoint your expectation. Ah, if a faithful and able friend suggests that you may depend on Him for relief in some external difficulty, you will most readily confide in him and believe that he won't deceive you, that you cannot trust a faithful almighty redeemer, though he commands you to do it and promises that he will not turn away from doing good to you. Number four, do not so love the good things of this world as to place either your happiness or your confidence in them. No objects whatever can continue in your possession except Christ and God in him. No mercies can either be satisfying or sure to you, except the sure mercies of David. Do not set, then, such a high value on any of the empty and transitory things of this world, so as to put it in their powers to ever disquiet your souls. Reproaches, injuries, losses, these are all outside you. 
It cannot come into your souls to vex them unless you yourselves open the door to let them enter. The Lord sends affliction on your bodies, and it may be that he permits men to enter you in your good names and worldly estates. But it is only yourselves who allow these or any other outward calamities to enter and vex your souls. The things of this world are still so high in your estimation, and they lie so near to your heart, that you cannot permit the loss of any of them without vexation of spirit. Ah, oh, that the world should seem so great, that God in Christ should appear so small in your view, is not to satisfy you except when you can have the world along with him. So watch diligently against the inordinate love of earthly things, for it will dispose you to indulge a distracting care and repining opposition of spirit to the holy disposals of adorable providence. It is often anxious care and peevish discontent that are the first occasions of melancholy. They usually so disturb a man's mind as to render it defenseless against those temptations which Satan will afterwards use to assail him respecting the state of his soul. Thus, as if the Lord had not afflicted him enough, he adds to his own affliction. Just consider how heinous a sin it is to so love the world, as to set up your own will in opposition to the holy will and providence of the Most High. By repining against him, you secretly accuse him, and by accusing him you blaspheme his worthy name. Consider that the resignation of your will to the will of God in everything is a principal branch of holiness, and that your hearts are comforted in proportion to your complacency in his blessed will. Oh, be persuaded to trust firmly that God in Christ loves you, and bestows himself upon you as your everlasting portion, and that the Lord Jesus will give you what is good, and withhold no good thing from you. For that is a way to mortify the inordinate love of the world by the Spirit. Number 5. Do not be solitary, except as little and as seldom as possible. A time for retirement from company is for those Christians who are well, indeed a season of the greatest value for meditation, self-examination, and prayer. But for you, it is a season of great danger. If the devil assaulted Christ himself with his temptations, when he found him in a wilderness remote from company, then he will much more assail you if he finds you are solitary. It is your duty, therefore, to be as often in the company of humble, faithful, and cheerful Christians as attention to your other duties will permit, especially those whose views of the gospel are clear, whose faith is strong, and who can speak from experience of deliverance from dejection of spirit. It may also be an advantage if you confer at times even with Christians whose cases are similar to your own, in order to be satisfied that your condition is far from being singular. Number six, recollect frequently that although it is a sin to yield to a temptation, it is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus Christ himself was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted to the most atrocious and horrible sins, yea, even to fall down and worship the devil. And yet, having resisted every temptation with perfect abhorrence, he still was without sin. 
You can at no time be tempted to more horrible iniquities than those to which the Holy One of God was tempted. You cannot, as he could, endure temptation without sin. Yet, as it is not every sinful inclination in the heart of a believer that is considered compliance with a temptation, you should not charge yourselves with that which is a sin only of the tempter. Number seven, consider how much it gratifies Satan to see you indulging gloomy and despondent thoughts. It exceedingly pleases that gloomy spirit to perceive you sullen and melancholy, like himself, to behold you distrusting your Savior and suspecting your God is an enemy to you, and doing so under the pretense of being deeply humbled in grief for your sins, that which gratifies the devil and serves to promote the interests of his kingdom, surely cannot be either your duty or your ornament. They can be no honor to you, which robs your gracious God and Father of the honor of his redeeming grace, and which disposes you to hate him, and to flee from his presence as if he were your implacable enemy. Number eight, meditate frequently on the promises and grace of the gospel, but let each of your meditations be short and easy. A deep and continued meditation will only harass and perplex your minds and render you less able to perform your other duties. Your imagination and mind are at present so weakened that you cannot employ them in a fixed and protracted meditation without by this increasing your malady. Do not mistake my meaning. I am not directing you to neglect meditation, especially on consulting subjects, but forbear deep and long meditation because in your present condition it will strengthen your painful distemper. A short meditation on some cheering subject may be a means of lessening and even removing your dejection, whereas a deep and continued meditation will distract you, and by increasing your disease it will render you less able to perform the other duties incumbent on you. When you are meditating at any time, don't look down into the gloomy dungeon of your own heart, where at present nothing can be seen but darkness or confusion. Rather, look away from yourselves to the compassionate Redeemer and to God as a God of infinite grace in Him. Instead of pouring over your own hearts to discern if love to Christ is there, you should rather be thinking of the infinite loveliness of Christ and of His love to you. This would be the means of exciting the exercise of your love to Him and of bringing it out into your view. A sight of your own hearts will only render you more melancholy, whereas a believing view of the glorious grace of the Redeemer will comfort you. Frequent thoughts of the Lamb of God, who loved you and gave himself for you, and of the love and mercy of God in him would produce through the Holy Spirit sweetness and love in your hearts, whereas fixed thoughts of sin and of the wrath of God would beget bitterness and aversion of spirit from him. Number nine, be frequently employed in ejaculatory prayer and let your regular prayers be shorter than ordinary. In your present case, you're not able to continue in these holy exercises so long as formerly. Therefore, since you cannot do as you would, do as you can. Sickness or pain of body excuses a man for being short in devotional duties because his nature is then so debilitated that it cannot hold out long. Sickness of the natural spirits, which enfeebles not only the body but also the mind, 
may likewise well excuse him. When you feel yourselves unable to continue in prayer for long, as you cannot miss doing it, do not struggle too hard in opposition to your enfeebled nature, for by increasing your distemper, this will further disable you for every duty. Study at the same time to retain as much as possible your relish for holy exercises and to guard against everything that would render them troublesome or grievous to you. Do not be discouraged by your present inability to continue as long in prayer as formerly, for this would increase your malady also. Endeavor when you are praying to employ as much of the time in thankful acknowledgement of his mercies as in penitent confession of your sins. If you were to employ even more of the time in thanksgiving and praise and in confession and complaint, then under the influences of the blessed comforter it might be a means of lessening or even removing the bitterness of your spirits. Number 10. Do not be discouraged if in your holy devotions you have no lively feelings or elevating conceptions. However desirable and useful these are, they cannot be reasonably expected in your present condition. Although they are sometimes enjoyed by many holy persons, they are not essentials of true holiness. Lively feelings depend more on one's natural constitution than many are willing to allow. Some Christians have naturally a quicker sensibility than others. A very small affair will make some of them feel deeply. Those who live nearest to God are commonly not those who have the liveliest feelings and emotions of joy or grief, but they are those who are most conformed to the holy image of the Son of God. From principles of faith and love, they are most devoted to Him and most inclined at all times to do His will. Many believers, especially when dejected in spirit, have bitterly bewailed their lack of deep feelings. If their feelings had been deeper or livelier in but the smallest degree than they already were, these believers might have been disordered and even distracted by them. Number 11. Be diligent from principles of faith and love in doing the work of your lawful calling. Be constantly occupied in doing your proper work seasonably, as far as your bodily strength will permit, and consider that it is very sinful as well as dangerous to squander any part of your precious time in idleness. The Lord has commanded you to labor six days, and therefore you cannot neglect prosecuting your secular business without omitting your duty, and thereby incurring in a still higher degree the pleasure of your Heavenly Father. Besides, if you allow yourselves to be unemployed even for a short season, Satan will be sure to find employment for you. By being idle, you invite him both to tempt and to trouble you, and he will not fail to instantly seize an opportunity that is so very favorable to his design. Then you will have leisure to hearken to him and to resolve in your minds every one of his infernal suggestions. Your precious time is continually hastening away, and the Lord has allowed you none to consume in idleness. If notwithstanding you then allow yourselves to squander any part of it in sloth, you may thereby provoke the Lord to permit Satan to harass you to a very uncommon degree. No pretense of employing your time and exercises of devotion will excuse your idleness, for you are omitting that duty which the holy law of God requires. Besides, you should consider that employing your time is formally in the work of your lawful vocation, especially if it is in the open air, 
will probably be a most effectual means of curing you of your bodily distemper. Take your case and tell it to some skillful, cheerful, and humble minister, or private Christian, and follow his directions diligently. Your imagination is so distempered, and your mind is so weakened, that you cannot judge rightly either about your condition or your duty. Your diseased imagination will represent every object to your mind in dark and prideful colors. Therefore, relate your case to some skillful and faithful counselor, especially to one who himself was once in your afflicted condition, and don't despise his judgment concerning either your dejection or the means to be used for removing it. Be directed by him with respect to the subjects of your thoughts, the objects of your fears, the scruples of your consciences, and the manner of your devotional exercises. Be not wise in your own conceits. Do not adhere obstinately to every fancy that strikes your minds, but be distrusting in your own understanding. Follow resolutely the directions of an experienced and cheerful Christian. This is prescribed by the Spirit of God, and He will bless His own ordinance. If you have reason to apprehend that your malady is increasing, you should consult a skillful physician, and in the hope that you will recover in due time, observe carefully his prescriptions. Since a body is afflicted, as well as a mind, then in order to remove your dejection, you should follow the directions of the physician as well as of the divine. This is one of the duties required of you in the sixth commandment of the moral law. Indeed, until the disease of the body is in some degree removed, it cannot be reasonably expected that the mind will be relieved. Number 14. Finally, trust that the Lord Jesus, whose infinite compassions fail not, will as far as it is for his glory and your good command deliverance for you.